You might think to yourself, threats never did me any harm when I stepped out of line as a kid. What's the problem with something so normal? In today's episode, I want to delve into the topic of threats. Why using threats as a, we could call it, motivation strategy in our parenting might work in the short run, but rarely gives us what we actually want in the long run. I think very few parents can say that they've never given a threat when faced with a child who just will not listen. I'm sure we've all been there before, but you know, imagine you've made a lovely meal and called a family to the table, taking extra care to cook something that everyone likes, and it's now dinner time. But nothing. No one comes, so you call again, and this time you're feeling agitated and maybe quite offended. Still nothing. So then you yell out, if you don't come now, you can forget about dessert tonight. And then, surprise, surprise, suddenly there is a reaction. Your child comes and you sit down for dinner. And this is best case scenario. Not until you threaten to take away something your child cares about does your child listen. And yes, this is a common way of speaking to children and many of us were reared on that type of motivation strategy. And my guess is that some of you listening to this will think to yourself, Louise, it sounds a little dramatic to call this threats. And I get that. But I also urge you to consider this. Let's say a friend or your partner talked to you in this way in order to get you to come to the table, you would no doubt feel like you were being threatened, right? If your partner said to you, Louise, dinner is ready. And if you don't come now, if you don't close down that laptop, you can forget about sleeping in my bedroom tonight. You go, whoa, 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 what's going on here, right? There's something that's not being considered. But that's a whole other talk. What I want to focus on right now is this is what I call the partner test. I so often work with this concept in my sessions with parents because I know that as parents we can very easily get a little lost in the right wrong thing to say you know what's a good thing to do in this situation and what isn't and in what i see is that we very often overcomplicate things when actually we could just do the partner test to work out what would be a decent thing to do in a given situation so so often we feel that we need another person to tell us what we can often tap into ourselves by simply asking ourselves this question How would I feel if my partner spoke to me in this way? What would that evoke for me? What would that cause me to do? How might I react? We can so easily lose sight of the fact that children respond to and pick up on the same things that we pick up on as adults. Only they typically don't say what an adult would say to another adult if they're spoken to in that way. And we might say something like, hey, I don't like the way you speak to me. Kids tend to not really say that sort of thing. Many children respond in ways that we might not even link to us using a threat. So in today's episode, I want to share with you three reasons why threats don't give you what you ultimately want, although you might get your child to listen in the here and now. So number one, when you threaten someone, be it a child or an adult, your natural instinct is to defy. It's human nature. 
And why do we do this? We do this to self-protect as a way of guarding our dignity. When we use threats as a way to motivate our child, we may get what we want in the here and now, but in the long term, your child's resentment towards you will increase. And what we often will find is that our child will enter into power struggles with you. So a way that a child might show you that they're defying you is by not come running to the table and happily sit down, but by perhaps going around in circles, maybe stalling altogether, maybe placing demands on you by saying, you pick me up, or asking you to work a little bit harder on the on the corporation and which when you're in that frame of mind is very likely to make you resentful and maybe want to withhold some of your help. Then we start seeing it as the child showing us that they're being defiant when perhaps what your child is doing is he or she's telling you that I don't like the way you speak to me. You might know it from yourself as well. So if you maybe cast your minds back to when you were a kid and an adult spoke to you in that way, you might have seen maybe in situations how you yourself reacted, maybe by becoming uh, angry or a little bit cheeky or pushing back in some way or another, depending on how much you know space you had to express yourself. If your child was a very strict and very authoritarian uh, upbringing, you very likely didn't have the luxury of being able to have a full-on meltdown or to say something back to your parents. But very often in such an environment, as a child, what we might do is we start feeling resentful within. We start a quiet rebellion inside. If there was a little bit more leeway and if it felt safe to express yourself, you may have found that this was exactly where you ended up giving your parents some challenge. You might one you might started to back chat or to say something rude back. And then this thing could maybe escalate into something completely different. And what is so unfortunate about that is that unless we as adults, as parents, have a good eye for what actually caused this in the first place, what often happens is this leads us down this rabbit hole where we end up just responding to our child's reaction by putting them into timeout or giving consequences or telling off. Okay, number two. For threats to work over time, you need to be willing to escalate the severity of the threat in order to match what matters to your child. So I'm sure we can all agree that what is motivating to a five-year-old is most certainly not going to be motivating to a 12-year-old. So if we say to little Max, who's five years old, hey, buddy, you need to come to the table, and he doesn't, and we then say to him, Max, I'm sick and tired of you not coming to the table. You can forget about watching Peppa Pig afterwards. Little Max might go, okay then, I'll come, and that's that. When Max is now 12 years old and mom calls him to the table, Max is not going to be motivated by the prospect of losing Pippa Pig. Because for threats to work, we need to constantly get curious about what 
our child cares about. And we need to threaten to take that very thing away that they care about the most. Otherwise, there is no motivation for, the, for our child. The trouble is, when we've relied on those kind of tactics for too long, what happens to our child is they start becoming a bit immunized. They become a bit desensitized to our way of presenting a threat as a means of asking for their cooperation. This it's again it's human nature it's what we need to do in order to self-protect so very often what we will see when there's a lot of threats going around in a family system is a our child starts giving us threats if you don't come now i'm gonna not do as you say or we're gonna see that they're gonna start presenting their siblings with threats or friends with threats whenever they don't do what they ask them to do. And few of us want that to happen, right? The other thing that's going to likely happen is our child is going to have an attitude of, I don't care. Again, this is a natural and perhaps even healthy response to being coerced in a way that feels too undignified. Children who say, I don't care, are very often playing the only card that they know to play in the face of being presented with a threat because you can't afford to care about something if there's a threat that is going to be taken away. So sadly over time, what happens to our child's little heart is that they build a wall around it and they harden themselves and learn not because we intended for this to happen, but they learn that it's safer not to care about anything. Very often in my session with parents, I do a little exercise, which I'm not presenting because I want to paint a picture of doom and gloom, but I very often present parents with an exercise when I feel that they're asking me whether what they're doing is morally correct or wrong. Now, I'm not so interested in the morality of how we behave. I think we all do the best we possibly can and that we love our kids so much and that it can be really, really hard to know what to do or say in a given moment. So the exercise that I often introduce in my sessions with parents is I ask them to forget about the right-wrong perspective and instead get curious about whether what they're doing right now is what they're happy to manifest and create more of down the line. And we do this by fast-forwarding five, ten years from now and asking ourselves, where do we predict we will be if we rely on this kind of dynamic? If this dynamic doesn't change, where will this take us? And is that a place that we're happy to go? Well, then we know that we can happily do more of it and if it's not then it is a perfect time to begin to get curious about what we can do instead and it's pretty clear to see that if we parent in this way uh, every time we come up against a little bit of uh, lack of motivation on our child's part and if we ask for cooperation by placing a threat we are going to have to be prepared that when our child gets more power and when our child is increasingly independent and self-sufficient, there might be a point where our child will turn around and say, imagine them towering over you saying, well, I don't care and I'm going to move out of here. I'm just going to go over to 
Toby's house and hang out for the night. And there's not so much we can do. So maybe our child won't physically do that, but we're at a high risk of our child mentally checking out, mentally disconnecting from us in this way, which is not what we want. Number three, threats make our children respect us less. The reason being, when we ask our child to do as we say by giving them a threat, we're essentially telling them, I don't expect you to respect me. I expect you to respect the threat that I give you. And that's a very different thing from communicating in a way that evokes in your child a desire to do the right thing by you. So what you might see is that there is a lot of disrespectful behaviors coming back from your child. These can show up in a number of different ways. It could be through disrespectful language, choice of words. It could be disrespecting you in terms of respecting your boundaries. It could be that you'd said no to something and your child is going around that boundary in creative ways by stealing it or sneakily getting it or going behind your back in some way. Again, behaviors that tend to get our attention in a negative kind of way and not make us link it to where some of that comes from. So ultimately, it's kind of simple. It's also very, very hard as things are when they're simple very often. But the way we meet our kids is ultimately the way they meet us. So when we decide that we're going to incorporate respect, mutual respect and respectfulness as a core value in our parenting, and we decide that this is going to be the guiding principle, sometimes we can't honor it, but that's what we return to whenever things have gotten off track, we will see that our child honors that respect by showing us respect in return. And this is where the whole idea of mutual respect comes from. So the way to ask for our child's respect is never in through applying disrespectful methods. It's as simple as that and it's as hard as that. A little final note on threats and on the ways that we show up in our parenting, in some of the hardest moments that we share with our kids. I am in no way a proponent of perfection. In fact, I think it's completely impossible. What I am in favor of is that we try and get clear on what we're doing now, how that affects our relationship to a child, not just now, but long-term. That we get curious instead of furious at some of the behaviors that we see our child meets us with. And instead of just blindly reacting and responding to their behaviors, we begin to get curious and ask ourselves, how am I going about asking for cooperation? How do I come across in my child's view? How might my tone, the choice of words I use, 
my attitude, how might that be perceived by my child? And what within that can I actually work on before I even require my child to be any different than what they are? Parenting is such a wonderful and hard journey and this is not about getting it perfect but I hope this episode has been useful in terms of maybe putting some of those confusions and um, doubts um, to rest that you have had around this topic and I want to say on a final note that it's not enough just to take threats away we need to know what to put in their place and that's what we're going to be looking at in next week's podcast episode until then i hope you have a wonderful week and i hope you will remember the motto get curious instead of furious and even if you do get furious try and get curious after anyway rarely is that the wrong parenting strategy take care